Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. Hey everyone, this is your host, Greg Myers. And before we jump into episode 135, I wanted to let you know about a few upcoming special opportunities. February is the Pulse of Payments Month, where we dedicate multiple episodes to a specific payments or fintech topic. And March is Diversity and Inclusion Month. You can reach me at greg at leadersandpayments.com if you're interested in being on the show or sponsoring during these special opportunities. And now on to episode 135. What does an Israeli native with three degrees in fine arts and a professional career as a New York sculptor have to do with payments? Believe it or not, quite a bit. PayM CEO Itamar Jobani is our special guest on this week's podcast, and his story of a professional career that spans from cultural artistry to the medical field and eventually to payments is truly fascinating. For those of you who may not know, PayM is a spend management platform that helps mid-market organizations with their finance operations via a streamlined integration into their ERP software. They serve as a one-stop shop for finance teams to internally manage employee T&E, expense reimbursement, credit purchases, and more. Itamar talks about his well-rounded journey into the payment space and where he sees our industry going in the next two to three years, including all of the dots that need to be connected before some of the usual suspects like blockchain and cryptocurrency have the opportunity to dominate the ecosystem. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Itamar. Thank you for being here, and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Great. Thank you for having me. Well, let's dive right in, if you don't mind. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that, and we'll dive deeper into your professional background in a minute, but maybe just a few of those high-level things. Sure. I was born in Herzliya, which is one of the suburbs of Tel Aviv, Israel. From a very young age, I was very drawn to software development, and I used to teach different classes here in Israel of C, C++, and different web technologies. But my main career was fine arts. Actually, I did three degrees in arts. The last one was in New York, and then I continued as a professional artist in New York for about eight years. Mostly doing sculptural work, actually, interactive installations, things like that. I was very involved with digital technologies back then as well. But at a certain point, I felt like I want to do a big shift and work mainly on technologies and move to California and open my first startup. That was quite an interesting experience. We did that for about two years. I learned a lot, did a lot of very novice and maybe now I can say stupid mistakes, but important mistakes. And when that startup shut down, I decided to go back to Israel and work at a startup. So I started working at a medical company as a full stack developer, did that for two years and was looking for my next idea. And actually at that startup, I ran into the issues of running financial operation and employee expenses. And I decided to quit my job and started paying. Awesome. That's quite a diverse background from fine arts to medical to payments. Right. Well, let's talk about Payum. Tell the audience a little bit about what Payum does. Well, Payum is a spend management platform. We help usually mid-market organizations, so usually companies that have a few hundreds to a few thousands of employees. We help them with their finance operation. 
It could be from relatively lightweight expense like T&E or employee reimbursement, expense reimbursement. And it could go a little bit deeper into the core expenditure of the organization on credit cards up to AP and procurement. So we provide financial teams the full platform, one-stop shop for many different parts of that finance stack that they need. Okay. And do you operate globally? One of the key elements, I think it's probably related to the fact that we started in Israel. Israel is a very small economy. And in a sense, most of the ecosystem of startups in Israel built in a mindset of serving of other markets. So a lot of the tech companies here, some of them are relatively large. When they started, they built their platforms to serve many different markets. I think you see the same happen in the Netherlands and other relatively small territories. And our first designers are like uh, partner designers that help us shape the vision of the product are Israeli companies that have subsidiaries all around the world. So pretty much from the get-go, we built Payam with that mindset of global operation. That means that we support different currencies and that we allow subsidiaries to manage in a semi-autonomy way. And I think this is a main part of our value proposition. And you mentioned size of companies, so mid-market with a few hundred to a couple thousand employees. Are there certain verticals that it's more designed for, or is it basically any company in that size range? I think that we're seeing a lot of companies coming from the tech sector. The reason for that is that those companies tend to grow very fast. That growth usually overwhelms the finance team. Many times, for a little bit of a more traditional businesses, finance team has some time to catch up with their organization growth. And in those tech companies, you know, they in a year, they could double their headcount or triple their territory subsidiary coverage. And they're dealing with multidimensional challenges coming from security, privacy, compliance, pure finance operation challenges. And for that reason, I think they tend to look for a platform that can help them automate a lot of the processes and platform that will help them scale up without growth. I think it's very challenging to hire good finance people. And many times we're seeing finance teams that are really struggling to do the basic operation that they have to make sure that they comply with. For that reason, they're just looking for a platform where you can see, and I think in, in more traditional businesses, many times you, you think, that you can solve those issues by hiring more controllers or hiring more accountants and so on. But I got to say, as our product get more and more mature and the company get more mature, we're seeing, I would say, Main Street businesses coming in. Healthcare, commerce, e-commerce, and so on. And then how do you go to market? Do you have a direct sales force? Do you sell through channel partners? How do you go to market? Well, right now we sell directly. We reach out to our customers through LinkedIn campaigns and through a lot of different groups or conferences. And I think the problem is so acute that many times we're seeing accountants respond to us or controllers coming to us and not just the finance leaders in the organization, but realizing that there is a need to put in a good infrastructure for their operation. So we have a sales team in Israel and in Europe and in the States, and most of our sales are being done directly. Okay. 
And then how do you price the product? Is it based on transaction fees or is it more of a SaaS model or what's the model like? So we serve right now a pretty vast spectrum of companies. So we have companies that are relatively small, you know, startups that have a few dozens of employees. And then we have large enterprises that are public companies with a dozen of different subsidiaries around the world. And also in terms of the product usage, I think we have a very wide spectrum of capabilities. And in that sense, this is also our pricing is coming from that spectrum as well. So we have customers that are getting our product for free and we monetize on the activities of the volume themselves. So we're seeing the interchange fees coming from their credit card usage. And then we have the heavy enterprise usage that are paying SaaS fees that could reach to basically a few dozens of thousands of dollars a year. And then your solution is integrated into many of the existing ERP systems, is that correct? Yeah. So we integrated into QuickBooks and Xero, and we integrated into Priority and NetSuite, and we're now working on a few other integrations as well. This is from the ERP side. Okay. And how big is the company today? Well, right now we are about 80 employees, and we are growing pretty rapidly. So I think half a year ago, we were a team of about 25 employees, and we keep on hiring. Hopefully, by the middle of next year, we're going to be about 150 employees. That's pretty fast growth. What would you say when you look at the big picture of you and when you're in the selling environment, what would you say differentiates you from your competitors out there? Well, I think it's a huge market. The market of B2B payments and procurement, there's many different players that are coming from different perspective to, you can say, a similar problem. I think on the one side, you're seeing Payments players that might be legacy players like Amex or the banks that giving mostly a financial service, right? They're giving a line of credit, they're giving cashbacks, and they provide plastic cards or maybe virtual cards, but they lack usually a technology platform that will help to integrate those payment methods into the organization workflow. Then you're seeing a lot of, maybe you can call them challengers credit card challengers or players that were kind of the first wave of innovation in that space that took a lot of the processes that were manual in the credit card world and automate them. They did digital underwriting, they did a management of cards in a better way, but I think most of them went after the low-hanging fruit of that market, which is the SMBs. And they built an amazing product, but those products tend to serve the owner-operator, you know, the bakery owner, the salon owner, and so on, a relatively small business, and they're seeing great success. And I think there is a way or there is a need to build a similar product for larger companies. And if you look at larger enterprises and you look at what they have right now from the organizational processes perspective, they can use our procurement solution to solve controlling problem and budgeting problem and so on. But a lot of those solutions, the legacy solutions there, were built in a mindset of, I would say, maybe 20 years ago, of uh, manufacturing economy, which mostly is direct procurement that deals with supply chain management and inventory management and so on. While those solutions could be great, and most of the time they have full capabilities of what those finance leader needs, they sometimes feel a little bit overwhelming 
very complex, very cumbersome, very slow, very enterprisey in a sense to organizations. And what we are trying to do is to combine the financial service with the organization flow that the mid-market needs. So they have a lightweight solution, a very agile mindset that put the employee in the center of that process and giving them the payment capabilities when they need it. And I think once you combine that, you can automate a lot of the financial processes that the organization actually doing because you are not just moving money from place to place. You also can attach the organizational or here you can attach the financial or the accounting context of those transactions. So you can speed up a lot of the reconciliations. And this is exactly what we tried to do at BAM. Okay. And you mentioned earlier about how big sort of the B2B space is, but where do you see that space heading, say, in the next two to three years? I think we are seeing now verticals in terms of the product that you can see verticals are building around industry, around the segmentation of the market in terms of the market company size and territories. And there is a lot of great companies are building now that are really focusing on a specific market. And I think that makes a lot of sense. B2B is tremendous market. And as such, it tends to be a little bit fragmented. Unlike if you think about marketplaces like Airbnb and Vacation Rental or Uber and Lyft, that tends to have that sort of dynamic of a winner-take-it-all. Here, you're seeing many different companies trying to solve different challenges for different companies. So I think that we're going to see that trend keep on building in the next few years. Do you think that blockchain and cryptocurrencies will start to play a bigger role over the next maybe five years out? Absolutely. I think a blockchain would be a huge thing for B2B payment in, I would say, probably five to 10 years. I think in a sense, the digital transformation era have come to finance a little bit late. I mean, not that late, but after that transformation came to the sort of the front office of companies, sales and marketing and CS and so on. Now you're seeing the back office getting that attention. And it feels like there is a lot of almost mechanic things that needs to be wired before we going into decentralizing processes and creating platforms that are very smart in the way that they transact. So it feels that there's a few layers to be built before we seeing blockchain entering into mainstream B2B payments. Yeah. And you know, the other thing when I've talked to other B2B solution providers is a lot of them will bring up the fact that we're still replacing checks. And you haven't mentioned that. Is that a pain point that's just so obvious that you don't mention it? Or do you see that problem becoming less and less in this space? But this is exactly what I'm talking about, right? There's so much manual processes that are happening within B2B world that could be related for the actual transaction, like checks, or in that matter, using physical cards and typing in wire instructions and ACH instructions. And, you know, a lot of the actual mechanics of the transactions are still manual, but not just the act of the transaction, but sometimes the process of the transaction. And when I'm saying the process, again, it's not the act of necessarily moving the money. But if you think about B2B, there is an organization that need to make a decision on who they're going to transact with. From that perspective, this is still part of that process. And if you look at relatively large organizations, a lot of that process is being done in a semi-manual way. 
it's very fragmented. Some of it is done manual. Some of it is done through emails or forms or communication that is done offline on phone calls. And it's disconnected from the act of transacting itself, right? From the writing the check or wiring the money or paying with a credit card. So I think before we're going to see blockchain becoming a huge thing, first, we need to connect all those dots. We need to make sure that when the employee is sending a request, the right people in the organization are actually seeing that request and understanding the context of it and getting the full visibility on why they chose that vendor. And if that vendor needs to go through compliance checklist or security checklist or privacy checklist and so on. And once that decision is being made, maybe something needs to be happening in the ERP. Maybe a budget needs to be allocated in the ERP. And only then you can actually attach to it a payment method. And that payment method could be a check, and maybe you can automate that and have other form of maybe a digital check or credit card or virtual card or budgeting card or an ACH transaction, a SEPA transaction, wire or real-time transaction. And then you need to bring it back to the accounting folks, which is basically get all of that context into the books of the, of the organization. So it looks like even the mechanics of making those decisions and running those transactions needs to be automated and connected before we can move to decentralized contracts. And I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of great companies that are doing it right now, but I think in order to see that mainstream B2B, we need to connect a lot of dots that are currently manual. I would agree with you there. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. And you've mentioned your journey from Israel to New York to California to start your first company. So maybe pick up the story there and tell us how you got from sort of that first startup in California to being now the CEO there at Payum. Well, I mean, closing a startup is always not an easy thing, but I think it was very clear to me that I want to do it again. It felt to me that what I needed the most is to actually experience startup culture and be much closer to the ethos of developing software. So coming back to Israel was a very natural thing to do. Israel has a booming startup scene here. I came back to Israel and I started working at a company called FDNA, doing diagnosis of rare diseases that is based on facial pictures. So I started as a full-stack developer. I worked there and it was great to sort of like get that motion and speed of a small startup that is growing. And by the way, I met at that startup, my co-founder Omer and a lot of the founding team of BAM that came from there. But also there, I ran into a lot of sort of small issues with doing my expense report. So at the end of the month, we would get an email from the office manager saying, guys, please do your expense report online. And we were using a very actually common tool that's supposed to be the state of the art in expense reimbursement. And there was so much friction doing it. Going back and forth with the accountant and with finance and my boss. And I was like, this is not how I want to waste my time. Back then, I was part of what we called the wellness team. Three people from the R&D that were sort of taking care of the employee experience. And I said, I want to find us a better solution for that. So I looked and I looked and I couldn't find anything anything that seems to solve the problem as I wanted it. And that was the point where I was like, well, maybe it's time to think about creating a solution like that myself. And the signals for that were just getting stronger and stronger. You know, my team basically forgot one of our cloud services up and didn't notice it for a few months. And what I was astonished really to find out that finance didn't find out about it. And it cost the company, I think it was 
over $20,000 of unused service. And then I start asking finance, like, how do they know about those transactions? How do they pay them? And I realized that this whole thing is basically, I want to say paper, but it wasn't paper, it was PDFs, but lines of lines of transactions that are meaningless in a sense. Yes, they can try and understand each line and who is related to that transaction and so on. But that whole stack was completely broken. And when you're looking again, like when you're looking at sales processes or marketing processes where so much of it is automated and it's always like one click and you go to another world that have, again, so many different pieces of data, it seems that finance are really running in silo, at least in this sort of segment of the market. So I have a good friend that is the CTO of one of the largest, actually the largest credit card companies in Israel. And through his eyes, I could see that there is a huge pain in a lot of those companies. That was the point where I decided to quit being a developer and started the journey of pain. What year was that, like 2018? That was three years ago. So actually in January, we celebrating three years mark. So it took me half a year before we actually founded officially the company or formed the company. And in that time, I was doing a lot of market research. You know, I was interviewing different finance leaders, procurement manager, controllers, treasurers, and understanding how that market works, right? I didn't come from payment. So it, it took me some time to understand the different players in the ecosystem and who we can actually partner up with in order to build our MVP, basically. Did you raise money to get started or did you self-fund it? No, we didn't raise money. It took us, I think, almost a year until we raised our pre-seed. So at the beginning, I was just working on my own at a certain point. My co-founder, Omer, joined and uh, we started working. We raised money once we realized that we have a very clear path and that we're starting to engage with companies and that we feel that it's going to happen. There was a point where you feel that you're more exploring if it's the right product that you're trying to build, if there is a good market opportunity. But once we decided, then we raised our pre-seed and we ran with it for about half a year. And then we raised our seed basically in March of this year. So we raised about $7 million from Pitango and FX. And then our A round came right after. We raised $20 million two months after in May. So you did all that during the pandemic? Yeah, you know, it's funny because we launched the product in March last year. So we always joke and say that the launch of COVID was way more successful than the launch of AM. <laughs> it was a pretty horrible time to launch a financial product. Back then, there was such an uncertainty in everybody's life, right? And finance yeah. teams were busy just grasping what they need to do and building plans of the immediate few months. But the most amazing thing that in a way, COVID really accelerated a lot of the processes that we were trying to automate. So that sort of like knocking on somebody's door and asking them for permission or taking their credit card to use you know, one-time use or going down and buying something or taking it for a trip. How do you do that when all your workforce is remote? So one of our earlier customer, public company traded in NASDAQ, told us that they used to have five different credit cards locked in the controller's drawer. Each credit card belongs to a different subsidiary. And when somebody wanted to buy something online, you know, let's say an R&D developer wants to buy a class online, they would pick up the phone and call them and he would go through the operation of opening the request and da, da, da. And four weeks later, so they would take one of those cards and go down to the station and type in 
their credit card number on their oh, station. So he told us, I didn't know how to do that on COVID. He was one of our earliest customers. He said, I would ask the employee to go on a WebEx, take over their computer and type in the credit card information. It's a huge company. So they didn't feel comfortable, you know, giving the one card that they have to all of their employees. Or we ran into another company, also a very large company, have over 1,500 employees. Their office manager emailed a photocopy of their credit card to the whole site because they needed to buy classes online. And that process used to be manual, right? They would come to the office manager and ask them to get the credit card to make that transaction. So I think COVID, in a sense, you know, really forced companies to look at how they connect the dots, basically, connect the employees to the payment method, connect them to the finance team and to their managers and creating those flows in a way that is scalable. So COVID was, in a way, great to B2B payments in general, right? We've seen a lot of other companies that flourished during COVID. Yeah, it's hard to believe in the year 2020 or 2021 that people were actually doing that with credit cards and paying bills that way, especially larger companies. But it's so true. I've done many of these interviews where people have said, as bad as COVID was, it did accelerate their business just because of the amount of automation that companies were forced into doing, right? They had no choice but to figure out a better, more secure, safer, automated way of doing things. And you just gave, I think, just two perfect examples of that. Yeah, I think in general, you want finance to be conservative and to be suspicious in a way for new processes. And the whole ecosystem used to be based on a lot of manual processes that in a way gave them a lot of security to be able to sign that check. But when you are the only employee that actually need to leave the house in order to drive to the company office during a lockdown to make sure that your business is running and that you have to sign 90 check by yourself because you don't want to ask your accountant to come to the office, then you realize I probably need a better automated solution for that. And in a way, I think it's that sort of small stories accumulate to the story of what we're building or the story of the B2B payment in general, I feel, uh, during COVID. Yeah, absolutely. What are some things you're passionate about? So maybe one work-related passion and maybe one more personal-related passion. I'm very passionate about building communities. And here I can connect both professional and personal. I think one of the things that we're trying to do at PAM, and I think we're doing it very successfully, is that, again, like we're not seeing transaction as just the check that is being signed and sent to the merchant, but we're seeing that sort of as a community effort almost, or it's sort of a mid-market company it takes a village to write that small check because you need to have somebody that might be an R&D employee or a marketing employee that is making that decision and then communicating that to maybe 10 different stakeholders in the organization that need to have sort of a back and forth on what is that for and who needs to say what. I feel like this is something that I'm passionate about, not just when it comes to our product, but when it's also coming to our company itself. And in general, I feel like this is something that I'm passionate about in my life is how you can connect people and streamline that sort of communication between them and make them feel that they are part of the bigger picture. They are part of the loop here. So at PEM, we really trying to make a lot of the process that we're doing as transparent as possible and trying to engage everybody that joining the company and what is our story, 
might be the story of the founders or the story of the company and the stories of our customers and not trying to just make a small transaction, if I can use that metaphor, right? We don't want people just to write code or design an image, but rather understand the full context of what we're doing. And I think that creates a very strong community and the power of many people that working together towards one goal, I feel can create magic. And, you know, in a sense, we're doing it for our customers, but we're also trying to do it ourselves. And it's a feedback loop that is making us stronger and stronger. In the past, I used to be involved in ecological communities and queer communities, and I was involved in setting up some of them in Israel and in Portugal. And in that matter, you know, I always feel that this connection of people is maybe the most important thing, more important than the product, more important than revenue. And many times, you know, companies that actually doing that successfully have great revenue, but they also are great places to, I want to say work for, but work with, you know, it's like it gives our life a much more meaningful and joyful way of going through that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Inamar, we've covered a lot of ground about your company, you yourself and what you're building there, as well as the industry as a whole. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, I think it was a great session. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. I know your time is very valuable, so I want to be sensitive to that. So thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, Craig. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 